I'm Carrington Vanston. And I'm Mike McGinnis. And this is No Quarter, the classic arcade podcast. Woo! Woo-hoo! We're talking coin-ops, baby. That's what we do. <laughs> we do. But this week, we're being a little trickier than, than usual. It's going to be a very special episode of No Quarter. Should we have some soft music playing in the background? <laughs> Summer's Eve commercial playing, you know, <laughs> during the break. Absolutely. Our new sponsor. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> but before we get to today's mystery, weird, sort of game, sort of not, um, let's talk about feedback. Mike, when people reach out to us and slap us down over the internet. <laughs> they do like to do that. Yes. yes. This week was pretty good, though. We, uh, a fellow named Paul Doyle wrote in. Um, he's got a really good email address. It made me laugh, but I won't read it out because it shouldn't give out that kind of stuff. But, Paul, your email address is very funny. So he's, he wrote, uh, first off, awesome podcast. I was just listening to the Gravatar episode, and you brought up two points that I have some helpful info about. First, on MAME ROMs and keeping them up to date, I have found a great torrent site. And he sort of points us to that. I don't know if we should be giving out torrent sites. What do you think, Mike? Do uh, we get in trouble for I, doing so? Well, I, we, are, we, we, sort of, we do encourage people to, to use MAME ROMs here. And, I do. And, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm okay with that, but I don't know if we should be advertising specific sites. Well, so. get in touch with us um, directly if you're, <laughs> we'll if you're do, interested. We'll help, you, we'll help you steal ROMs privately. How's See, that? I'll give out anything, but I'm trying not to drag Mike down with me. I'm here in Canada. <laughs> well, I'm well, like, far eh, too late whatever. for that. <laughs> So um, anyway, what I thought was interesting was on his second point where he says, on using eight-way joysticks with four-way games, I found this mm. excellent stick called the Mag Stick from Ultramark.com. That's U-L-T-A, oh, sorry, U-L-T-I-M-A-R-C.com, which is a switchable from four-way to eight-way by just lifting it up and turning the stick. Hope this can help you out and your listeners. And he sent it from his iPhone. <laughs> so uh, I did now, did we mention Ultramark? Previously, I, I, I think we would I, have talked I, about them, did we not? I don't know if we mentioned that one specifically. That's not a stick that I have any experience with. Well, I, I don't have experience with that either, but I've read about it and I had considered it because I found the whole lift up and twist thing very appealing, much more so than uh, we were talking about in the in in uh, the other day. I think that you can with a tank stick, you can open it up and underneath go and switch things. Yeah, and, you actually have to have to do a little surgery on the X arcade, which I don't mind doing, but it's a pain if you just want to switch back and forth between games really quickly. Sure. The ultimate solution, I still think. Um, I've been thinking about this more and more. Like, what do I want to? What do I want to have main cabinet wise? Do I want to try to squeeze a whole bunch of a bunch of these things into my little condo and just resolve to stay single, or do I want to have space <laughs> where people can come and visit me and maybe they would be girls and I would I would <laughs> need room for that, so I would have fewer of these. If I go the fewer route, it seems to me like the more I think about it, that the the old classic games and the slightly less old classic games are different enough in their cabinet formats that they kind of do warrant having two different cabinets. You can go with the, the vertical oriented monitor, a four way joystick and like two buttons per player and bingo, you're, you know, like everything from 82 and earlier, uh, your, your Donkey Kong games, your Pac-Man games, all that kind of stuff. Perfect main set setup for that. And then separate from that, have maybe a cabinet that's an eight-way joystick, six buttons per per player, um, and you know a horizontally horizontally aligned uh, monitor, and then you're sort of set up from eighty four on, and and that kind of thing. So, I I think it's tough to make one great cabinet 
fit both of those eras because just too many things changed physically that uh, if you set up for one of them, you're, you're kind of seriously compromising for the other. That's what I say, Mike. What do you say? That sounds good to me, Carrington. <laughs> you don't have strong opinions about this? Well, uh, my, my opinions are more uh, – the thoughts that I have are more along the lines of uh, if I were to have – individual cabinets it would be because i had games that needed specific controllers right you know so if i had a a cabinet that had a a, a trigger stick a trigger joystick then i could play games like tron oh, and tron. and satan's hollow and, and things like that and then another one that's just the standard joystick um yeah i think that's what i would do i think i think you're totally right a big part of the appeal of particular cabinets for me has has been um, the fact that they're hard to do perfectly in name, uh, um, over on, uh, Jack Flack's podcast, he talked about this in a recent episode as well. And I, and I do agree with it. it. Like there's certain types of games, like you can, you can really make a, a relatively perfect Donkey Kong MAME experience, but you it's really tough to do that with something that uses an XY monitor or something that uses a, like a, a Paperboy game with the, the steering wheel controller or Star mm-hmm. Wars or something like that. Or like you said, Tron. The pole position. Or pole posi- yeah, exactly. Where you, I know, and pole position you can kind of do. Like I've been reading a lot well, about how you can get the spinners and you can mount uh, steering wheels on them, that kind of stuff. But when you get the weird controllers. Well, even, even pole position had, uh, had the gas pedal. Oh, that's um, right. You know, and if you really wanted to get weird with driving games, and, and I do. Talking, well, then you're talking something like Spy Hunter, which had the shift and the wheel and the gas, right? right. Uh, and and then you had the buttons, uh, the trigger on the wheel for your guns and the oil slicks and and, like and uh, road blasters or whatever yeah, it's called. So Same that, thing. Good game. Things that like one. that become very difficult to, to emulate properly on the home system. Yeah, like to me, those are the things that that sort of call out to me cabinet wise. That like, you know, if you're going to get it, because like, yeah, it's it's tough to play that without an actual cabinet where so right. many games you just stick it in a maiden cabinet and you're really not missing out much except the uh uh maybe the smell of the old cabinet and the side art <laughs> so yeah I if, I, if i think i think if i were going to do something like that i'd probably try to build something that was as modular as possible so that i could have just one or two um cabinets for specific weird games like that where i could swap out controllers easily and i could swap out boards uh or or um Mm. Um, steering wheel and that sort of thing. I saw a, a Mame cabinet, uh, a Mamenstein or whatever they call it once, with a a triangular rotating um, uh, display, not display space, the uh, controller. So it had a flat eight-way joystick with a bunch of buttons, and then you could rotate it, and then it brought up the steering wheel controller and Ugh. stuff. Then you could rotate it again. Now you're in the spinner world and stuff. So, um, But maybe something that instead just like clicked on, you can make a control, and then make the whole sides out of actual LED displays so the cabinet art would just show on the side. I think you should do that, Mike. I think you should do it this weekend. Uh, no. <laughs> get, get right on that. I, I will not. I would do no such thing. <laughs> oh, you disappoint me, Mike. I, I, I would me. not want my cabinet to end up on that, that trash site that uh, Flack mentioned in this <laughs> cabinet building episode. Um, right. there's, some of, there's a few of those sites, and they're hilarious to look some at. Some of those were pretty atrocious. Yes. Yes. Hall of shame for sure. So we will soon be talking about another approach to a sort of cabinet w- that would have lots of games on it. Hint, 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 listeners, if you haven't caught on to what this week's uh, this week's topic is. But first, Mike, is there is there more feedback? Has there been buzzings in, in Facebook land? Well, in fact, there were a couple of people who correctly 
guessed what this game was going to be. Crazy. Uh, I thought this week week would be the week we would stump people. Rando Gelking uh, replied, as for next week's game, I hear NES Castlevania and Mario Brothers in there. Uh, I play Choice 10, maybe? Um, And Mike Whalen said, I thought it was Haunted Castle with the Castlevania stuff in there. Uh, Play Choice 10? Hmm. So we had a couple people that were uh, sniffed it out, I think. Uh, As I'm sure you've guessed by now, instead of a single game theme song, uh, I mixed several in there uh, for for people to guess at this week. And I really thought it might trip people up, but then... When I started getting the little email notices of people posting on Facebook very quickly after we posted it saying, I think it's this. I was like, oh, man. <laughs> it reminded me of that WKRP in Cincinnati episode where they had all the little samples of audio to try to give away the big money and people would call it and get all of them right away. Sure. And, um, yeah, our, our our listeners are 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 the Johnny Fever of podcast listeners, I say. And <laughs> the drunker they get, the, the quicker they can recognize the Indeed. games. <laughs> yes. Well, this is episode 25, for those who don't want to count. Um, or who can't count. <laughs> or who can't read the number next to the podcast uh, it, on our webpage. But, uh, so I thought we'd do something a little bit different this week. And mm-hmm. instead of talking about a specific game, we should talk about a game platform. And Carrington, tell us what you chose. Did I choose this? Oh, awesome. I chose the Play Choice, in particular the Play Choice 10, which was uh, available um, from Nintendo. And what separates this, what sets this apart, for those who don't know um, and can't figure out from the name and from our audio sample, is unlike the traditional cabinets, which have a game in them, whether it's Gravatar or Star Wars or Pac-Man or what have you, the Play Choice 10 has a selection, and not always the same selection, of 10, count them, 10 games uh, that you can play for your quarter. And it's an odd setup in a number of ways. Uh, partly in that it's really easy to swap out games. So unlike the uh, the cassette-based things we've talked about before, this has a very quick um, little daughter cards that can swap out. So it's relatively quick to insert new yeah, games. Yeah, they, they sort of actually look like uh, over, overgrown ram sticks. Mm-hmm. Well, really, I guess what they are is sort of like the uh, the the boards from inside Nintendo Entertainment System home well, but, console games, but extended out. And, they're, and they're, they're kind of the same game, but kind of not. And intentionally yeah, I was going to say, aren't they... Be. I don't think they're compatible, are they? You can't, you can't just make well, an adapter and plug this into your Nintendo well, and have it work. can't... Hmm. Can't is a strong word because uh, that is actually now available. Like you can, okay. you can get something that will let you throw NES cartridges right inside your Play Choice Ten. But the the intention was that you wouldn't be able to do that. They are essentially the same games with an extra little bit of ROM code. I think it's like an extra eight K, which displays the hints. And we'll get soon to how the hints are displayed. It's another thing that makes the Play Choice very interesting. But. Um, uh, Nintendo was sort of worried about that. Like this, the Play Choice was in very, in, in a lot of ways, I think, a, a reaction to the success of, in fact, their own success with home consoles and saying, well, hey, look, look, the NES is doing so great. Um, and people love those games. Let's bring that same sort of thing and capitalize on it into, into the arcade and with the variety and, and that kind of stuff. Cause essentially this is, playing nes games i mean it's the same games they they have the same resolution it's it's essentially the same rom code too with slight tweaks and and um the ppu in it 
uh, outputs RGB natively. Look, look at me throwing around all the letters. So, um, hmm. it, so that, and it's really because of that, I think that some of the colors are a bit different, but the, the ROM code and, and the game code is, is essentially the same stuff. So that why, that's why it became possible more, uh, recently to make a little adapter that you can just plug in your NES cartridge, um, and even a Famicom cartridge and off it would work. Cause it is essentially, the play choice is essentially a, uh, uh, an NES for, uh, quarter based play. And another thing that makes it different is instead of just popping in a quarter and, and getting a man say like, okay, you get to now play super Mario brothers. It's time-based. So you're essentially buying time. And I think the reason for that is NES games, unlike arcade games, were kind of easy in, in a lot of ways to play for a very long time, which defeats the purpose of trying to get quarters off people. So, and, and, you know, there were some of these games would have like press these key controls and you've got 50 men <laughs> so you would just play forever on a quarter so the way they got around that was say no no you're just buying time so it was dip switch settable and the operator would say you throw in a quarter you get this much time and you can bounce between games and you basically get to play an unlimited amount within a specific time period you want more time you throw in more money and that actually confused me at first when i when i loaded up these games in, in mame because it's not the simple press five to drop the quarter and press one to start the game um, because when you start this up, you get the diagnostic screen, uh, and then you have to pick the game that you want to play. You have to drop uh, quarters in to increase your time, check the, and, and then you press enter to start the game, and then you choose the options, and then you start the game. So yeah. it's, it's quite an involved sequence. Um, and when you're playing this in MAME anyway, it, I couldn't find a way to turn off that. that you get a split-screen view of the of kind of the, the, the BIOS settings and things like mm-hmm. that. And then below that, the game was where the game plays. And I, I couldn't figure out how to get rid of the BIOS screen. You can't um, get rid of that. That's part of the game. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that's kind of what sets the play choice cabinet, the, the, the traditional cabinet for play choice. It makes it different than a lot of cabinets out there in that it was a dual monitor cabinet. There was the main screen that you played on and then above it, a completely separate monitor. And that displayed first, like the list of games. And then it displayed while you're playing hints for the particular your game in you're, you're playing and also how much time you have left and, and that sort of thing. So the, the traditional cabinet, what I think they called the Goliath cabinet, um, had the two monitors, a, a smaller monitor was stacked vertically on top of the main, uh, main monitor and then there was also a a single monitor cab and um a, a very rare bar top cab which uh, has tiny skinny little joysticks i've played with it once and it's an it's an odd but wonderful little beast now that i guess leads to my next question for you I, i've <laughs> never well i've never seen this game in, in an arcade that i can remember and i've never played one of these uh in person What's the appeal of playing a Nintendo game at at an arcade? I mean, if you go to Good an question. arcade, aren't you there to play that? I mean, I, I, if you want to play Nintendo, just stay home and play the Nintendo system. Yeah, and and I think a lot. Of, um, I remember at the time, uh, I came to the Play Choice a little late when I when I first started seeing them in arcades. These came out in I think it was eighty six. Eighty six. Okay, so it came out in eighty six. But I I know it was at least a couple years later was the first time I came across a, a play choice system in an arcade. And it was here in Toronto, downtown on Young Street. And it was uh, sort of at the back in the area that they had the junked up sort of games. So it was already an older system. And it didn't draw my eye at first for a couple of reasons. One, the cabinet art. Because since it's there were 50, I think 54 different games in total came out. And, and any given play choice could have 
any 10 of those loaded. So it was a, you know, that's why it's called Play Choice 10. Um, but it could have any selection. And it doesn't have to have 10. You can have one game in it, but it can have up to 10 games of the 54 that were available. And because it, it could be anything. It could be loaded with 1942. It could be Castlevania. It could be uh, Mario Brothers or Metroid or uh, Punch-Out. Like, you're, you know, you're, uh, uh, basic Nintendo games. You can't have cabinet art that shows off any one of those. So instead, it's got really generic brown and black striped cabinet art that just says Play Choice 10. It might as well just write yawn below it. So it's boring from the side. <laughs> but from the front... It was interesting because I was like, what's this two monitor thing? And that was both, I think, a good and a bad thing. The The good was it, it drew my eye in the back of the arcade. It was like, hey, look, there's there's two monitors to this game. How, how interesting. So that got me to walk up to it. The downside was we've talked a lot in, in the 24 and now 24 and a half episodes that we've done mm-hmm. about the appeal of a good arcade game. And one of the, one of the most important things about arcade design was you have to be able to walk up to it, glance at the monitor and get it. And that motivates you to put the quarter in. And then the gameplay should motivate you to say, if I put another quarter and I could do a little better, but it starts with that idea that you glance at a Pac-Man screen and you know how to play. You glance at space invaders, you know how to play play choice. You glance at it. And 50% of them, I'm showing you two monitors and the top one is full of text and instructions. And, Ugh. and in addition to the, the, the control panel, which has two, it's two players and it looks relatively simple. You've got two joysticks and each player has two buttons. So that's simple. But then they're on the little riser part above that. There is five more buttons, little tiny ones. And on the left are two buttons for like selecting your game and resetting to go back to that menu. And then in the middle, there's two buttons for, okay, like start my game and or reset the individual game and then on the right was like bring up the hints or something like that so it's or i I can't remember but i know there's like those five little buttons so even the control panel is a little confusing and and when you start playing the game the top thing the top monitor is now showing hints and stuff which is helpful but you know your time is ticking while you're playing this game so (laughs) there was it didn't appeal to me at the time like play choice i played it a couple times i and the games in there didn't appeal to me and so for me, it was in a sense, a bit of a failure of a cabinet fun to have at home, fun to collect, fun to, to play if you're into it. And it's sort of a neat thing. But what hooked me later on play choice was a particular game. There's one game of the 54 available and there's some really good games, but they're Nintendo games. They're your, your NES games. Like, you know, there's their excite bike, great game. Fantastic. We should do a whole podcast about excite bike. It's such a good game, but <laughs> it's an NES game, but there's one game on play choice that you can't get elsewhere. And then if you lived in North America, you couldn't get on your NES. And, and that game is, that game is the Goonies. <laughs> The, ah, the yes. Goonies is an awesome game, and I think one time we should also do a podcast about it. So I won't wax on rhapsodically about it too much. But it hooked me. the The Cindy Lauper theme tune is perfect in eight bit. It's an adventure sort of platforming game with lots of easy to find secrets. It is an addictive little game, and that's the game that made me pump quarters into Play Choice. And it works perfectly as a Play Choice game because. It's a game that takes a while to play. Like you've got these levels to explore and you're jumping over things and there's bats. You got to kick in certain areas to make secret um, bags of money appear above you. And there's there's like a story that unfolds and I was never, never able to complete it. But it's perfect for play choice because if it was a game that you just put a quarter in 
And when you died, you, you were dead. I could never have gotten anywhere in that stinking game. But a game that I can throw in a whole bunch of money and say, screw you, I'm playing for the next 20 minutes. I'm playing for the next two hours. Gave me enough time to actually get a decent way into the game. And it was really rewarding. So for that sort of game, play choices is, is a good choice. But most games, like if it's 1942, I don't see the appeal. Why play it on play choice versus just playing it on, you know, a 1942 cabinet. So this is what I say. Well, and I, I think the appeal would be even would be less and would be diminished even more if you're in the arcade and they have the actual arcade versions of these games yes. elsewhere. Yep, absolutely. I mean, why play Mario Brothers that that way if you can play the real Mario Brothers two cabinets down? I totally agree, and and I do think that it that the games like these versions when you play Gradius on here. It's not as good as the standalone proper Gradius. I mean, if you're going to play Rygar, I'm going to play Russian Attack. Like, these are games... Actually, I don't know about Russian Attack. But, um, but most of these games, um, I want to play what, what I would call the real version of the game. And if I'm going to play Dr. Mario, if I'm going to play Duck Hunt, um, I'm going to play it at home. Why am I going to play it a quarter at a time uh, on a Play Choice game? Although it's interesting to say, like, this, there's things about this cabinet, though. Like I said, it's like... At least it stands apart. It's a, it's a, it's the first cabinet we've talked about that is a shooter because it has games like like Duck Hunt games that take the uh, the gun. Um, the PlayStation stand up machine comes with a gun. It has a single gun, but, but holstered on the front of it. But you can you know so it's it's got certain gun games. Um, uh, Wild Gunman was a gun game on it, and I think uh, there was Duck Hunt. There was Hogan's Alley. I'm sure there was others, but I but I can't remember. So. And there was also games on Play Choice that you could play simultaneously. So there's not a lot of games we've talked about so far that were two players playing at the same time. Most games we've talked about were one player, or if it's two players, it's one and then two, and then one and two. But here you can play uh, uh, Tech Mobile. Um, tech, yeah, Tech Mobile, which is that you can play simultaneously. Uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and and the sec- and number two, you can play simultaneously. And um, Yeah, I could see the appeal of that. So that kind like, of stuff was kind of fun. <laughs> Games like Punch Out and, and yeah. Mario Brothers and things. Yeah. A lot okay. of PlayStation things I got. I think I I read I read online that one of the things that makes the PlayStation cabinets rare is so many of them were converted over to Punch Out or sorry Play Choice. I keep saying PlayStation <laughs> Play Choice cabinets rare is so many of them were converted over to Punch Out cabinets. Hmm. But okay. I thought it went the other way. Like I thought it was that there was Punch Out cabinets and they got converted into play choice cabinets like that's the way i remember the order of things the the from what little research i did for this episode (laughs) uh i i I was reading that the i thought the play choice 10 was actually a conversion kit in itself yeah there was a convert the 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 single monitor one i think was a kit whereas i think the dual monitor one was the official play Uh. choice set up gotcha. um and whereas you would take basically any normal nintendo thing and you could convert like a donkey kong cabinet into a play choice because it basically just needed the the a joystick and two buttons for each player and they just had those extra little buttons that would clip on in the front as, as part of the kit I, I that's how i remember it going i think the bar top was a, a non-conversion as well and that's another reason why it's it's a particularly rare unit i think to come by i i've seen the bar top one once which is why i know it's got skinny little joysticks at least the one i saw had skinny joysticks i i'm, I'm assuming that's how they all were but um only the one time have have i ever seen that so i think it's a particularly rare unit to come across hmm. uh play choice 10 had a z80 CPU uh, clocked at four megahertz, and the sound chip was an N 
2A03 at 1.789, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, it goes on and on. 1.789 megahertz and a DAC. Uh, it uses the standard raster 256 by 240 pixels uh, and a, a color palette of three. <clears throat> I'm sorry. And a palette of 320 colors. Uh, but that's, of course, on just the one monitor. And then it also had a, I guess, the menu oh, the- and hints monitor, which um, would have had, I think it had the same resolution. I think it was also a, a, a RGB monitor and was also horizontal. Okay. If I remember. But, but it's, I, it was a physically smaller monitor, though. But I think it, if I remember from it, it has the same resolution. It's also a you know, 256 by 240 horizontal. That's, that's how I remember it anyway. Well, that would make sense. Yeah. So it's just it, to me, it's a, it's a it's an interesting and and very different and unique uh, platform and unique cabinet. But I don't think it's a particularly successful one in my mind. I don't know how successful it was monetarily, but for me, it's it's too much a platform of compromise. Yeah, I understand why they did it. You know, mm-hmm. it keeps it keeps the the cost of. Uh, development down for sure. sure. Um, it's easy to swap games in and out. It's probably pop, was probably at least somewhat popular with the arcade owners, sure, because uh, they could throw one back in the corner or something. Uh, and I was now, doing. Was I'm it? Sorry. A, was, did it come before or after the Neo Geo system? Like, so I always think of these as like two big competing multi-game systems. And and I was one a reaction to the other, or was Nintendo just saying, "Hey, look, we've got all these, we've got the NES already, all these cartridges. Why don't we try to leverage that elsewhere?" Well, the um, the, S, the SNK Neo Geo wasn't released until 1990. Wow, was it that much later? Yes. Holy cow! So and I that, guess, r- that ran from go. 1990 to 1997, and it, it was definitely a more powerful system. It, it, I'm looking at the wiki page here. Uh, that was running on a Motorola 68000 at 12 megahertz plus a Zilog Z80 at 4 megahertz. Wow. So, because I know there was others. There was a Sega had the Mega something, which basically was the Master System or Genesis versions, because it was like well, their Mega Drive games. I think wasn't there Mega Mega Play or something it was called? I think. I'm not familiar. Anyway, I think. That, but of course, before that, we've talked before about the um, the Deco D E C O the cassette system. Yeah. The uh, but the cassette. big side, the big downside of well, the the major downside was it was a uh, Data East thing, and <laughs> nothing oh. says crap like that brand. But also, <laughs> well, it was some of their audio some cassettes. Of their, some of Data East's uh, arcade titles weren't horrible. Well, Burger it, Time it, is theirs, I think. Yeah, Burger Time, right. and I think Double Dragon, and a, a few games like that mm, were. Okay, yes. Were, as I recall, Data East, it was their home conversion right. unit that just just pushed out crapware. It, it, yeah, it was really. oh, Lock and Chase, Lock and Chase was there because yeah. I know that was on the Deco cassette system, so, so that must have been so there. So I, I'm I'm going to kick uh, kick uh, Data East, but I'm not going to kick them too hard. <laughs> well, um, but the problem with the Deco cassette system was it used like we talked about this. I know in an earlier episode we touched we did, on yes. it, and it used standard audio cassettes so it loaded like with the speed of a commodore 64 it was like so for the arcade owner to switch the game and it really played like one game but to change it over took forever and it would often fail in the middle of doing so so while it was kind of revolutionary it was also kind of crap (laughs) whereas the play choice 10 you you get at the boards from the back like so you have to be an operator you you take the 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 back of the machine off and there's this little thing with a whole bunch of little it's like 10 little not really screws they're almost like thumbtacks and you pull them out and and the board just slides out and in it are just as you can imagine just 10 slots for 10 little daughter boards and you simply with the power off you pop in a daughter board or change them around slide the thing back in power it up and bingo it's working so it's a really fast switch um and i think that had great appeal for i would i would presume that had great appeal for the actual owners and operators um of the systems 
So, so would you say that it was somewhat innovative and maybe just poorly executed? Well, I don't know if it was poorly. I think it's as executed as well as you can have this. I mean, it easily swaps and it's really, it's uh, really robust and the systems, you know, work well. I like the dual monitors. My problem with it is it's essentially a home console that you're playing a quarter at a time. It's like going over to a friend's house and he says, you can pay, you can play my NES, but you got to hand me a quarter every three minutes. (laughs) So... So yeah, that's my problem. <laughs> I think I think that was my impression too as I was playing it that the games just didn't really seem to be a fun arcade experience, and especially since you're paying, you're basically paying by the minute to continue mm-hmm. playing. Uh, I'd rather just go play the actual games somewhere else in the arcade. Absolutely, and I do think it's a. We we talked at the beginning of the episode about it's the different cabinets that are are good to collect in a set. Well, good is a relative word, but that for me personally are interesting from a collectible standpoint. I want to get a Star Wars cabinet because that controller makes it hard to emulate elsewhere. And I think what we have here is kind of the exact opposite situation. We have a cabinet that's, you know, a 250 pound, seven foot tall beast with two monitors and all that. And essentially what it's giving you is an NES and, and an NES that only can have 10 games at once. And while they're easy to swap compared to a deco cassette system, they're very hard to swap compared to an actual NES. So it seems to me, if you're building a main system, why not just throw an NES in it and say, there you go. I've got all the games ever made. Cause there's really nothing you can play on play choice. You couldn't play on NES with the exception of the Goonies. <laughs> <laughs> so to me, play choice is Goonies and other. So they should just have a, the the Goonies uh, cartridge wired into one of the slots there. Call it the play choice nine plus Goonies. <laughs> Goonies choice one is what it should be. <laughs> I'm just a big fan. So, but for the most part, I totally agree. Like when you play these games, they feel like when I played, I popped them in MAME and it just felt like I was playing NES games, but without the advantage of the, the NES controller that I prefer for these games. And so you're not getting better resolution. You're not getting a, 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 a pumped up version of the game. You're not getting extra levels. You're just, when you're playing Castlevania, you're just playing Castlevania. And I figure, why not just throw that in your NES? Hmm. Well, so there you um, go. yeah. So, so there you go, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> uh, play, choice, <laughs> play Choice 10 by Nintendo. Uh, one thing I forgot to mention back in, when we were doing feedback, and we didn't really do any news items, so I thought this was worth mentioning. Uh, there is a brand new Missile Command high score. There is... After playing more than 56 hours, Victor Sandberg finished his game with 81,796,035 points. That's crazy. Which surpassed the 80.3 million that Victor Ali racked up way back in 1982. Uh, Ars Technica has a big article on that. Um, although it, it, I, I do find it interesting that, that nowhere in any of these articles do I see any mention of uh, Roy, Mr. Awesome Shield, and his supposed Missile Command high score. Oh, odd. Yeah, I say very odd, but exciting. Like, this is I find and maybe it's because I've just become more aware since we've been doing this podcast and 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 over the last year or so when I got back into classic arcade games and the cabinet form and that kind of stuff, I've been more aware of high scores and people going for them. But it feels like it's coming up much more often in the last year than it did for the 20 years before that. Like all these high scores lasted and since the 80s and lately it seems they're a different one is falling every month. Well, that may be because retro video arcade gaming is sort of back in vogue again. You know, okay. They've got these barcades and things springing up. And I know that Twin Galaxies here 
uh, in Denver has the Kong off every year now where they get the best players together to try and knock these scores down. Right. Uh, I think the third one is coming up uh, this November. Are you going to compete? Are you going to win? Well, I'm not going to compete, but I will be there, I think. (laughs) I'm going to compete, but I'm going to (laughs) win. That's right. I'm going to win anyway. (laughs) That's the way to go. So I thought that was interesting to mention. (laughs) That is interesting to mention. I'm glad that you mentioned it. I found it interesting. (laughs) (laughs) I'm good at being an interesting mentioner. Now, with Missile Command, and, and I know we're not talking about Missile Command, but we've brought it up, so let's keep going. I thought... There was a bug in Missile Command that after you got a certain score, you got like a whole bunch of cities or a whole bunch of something like, and I thought that would invalidate like high score things. Or was it you stop getting cities? Something happens with cities at some sort of score. Do you know about that? Or do we have to wait for our audience to write in and tell me I'm what the sure heck I'm that, thinking of? I am sure that our audience will write in okay. and tell us exactly. It, it does mention here in the article. What I'm babbling about. Mm, yes. It does mention here in the R's article that, that Sandberg used the marathon settings rather than tournament settings, so I don't know if that makes a different difference. It means he had Bungie wired up for him. Ah, and... here it is. <laughs> tournament play does not allow players to earn bonus cities, so the scores there are much lower. Aha. The well, record in go. tournament settings is no higher than 5 million. Well, there you go. Now we know. Does it make you want to go out and get a... a before we move mm. on, though, does, it, does this make you want to have a, a play choice system would this make your arcade does this we haven't talked recently about the uh the the mike mcginnis memorial <laughs> arcade but um would maybe this like because it's weird to talk about it because it's not you it can't be the top 10 for a particular game but it offers the advantage of multi games and stuff if you've only got so much space would this get squeezed into the mike mcginnis arcade? No. mike would you Okay. No, it would not. <laughs> no hesitation there. Well, just going with I, I've no. never been a big Nintendo gamer um, anyway, at least for the home, the home consoles. Uh, and the opportunity to play them in a cab just doesn't really appeal to me. If I were going to do a multi-game system, I'd probably go with Neo Geo or, or um, a LaserDisc cabinet. Okay. Neo Geo, I think, is a, a, a very interesting system, too, but so many of the games are the same. Yeah, they're all fight games or they're all Metal Slug oh, variants. Oh, God, they're all... F- yeah, they're all fighting games. I mean, there's some really good games, but most of them on Neo Geo. Obviously, yeah, there's, the same there's game. A, the... I'm I'm in the same boat as you though. I too would not select a Play Choice Ten, but I can I can see the appeal though. Like I, I especially the Bartop version, you know, because it's a sort of a neat way to play Nintendo games, and and I like the dual monitor, so it's got an interesting place in history and and that kind of stuff. But but it also definitely would not make my short list of collectible uh, collectible caps. Well, I admire it for for what it is. I I can't look past its its compromises. So I say no. Well, Carrington. Maybe next week's game will end up in your Hall of Fame. Not a chance. You sure? What's it sound like? Well, just in case, I'll play a sound clip right now. I guess that just about wraps it up for this week. Oh, it's wrapped up. It's wrapped up with a little bow on it, Mike. Indeed. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, thank <laughs> you for podcasting with me. And thank you, Carrington. And I will talk to you next week. Sounds good. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. 
You've been listening to No Quarter, the classic arcade podcast. Feedback can be sent to noquarter at monsterfeet.com. And like all Monster Feet podcasts, the original material in this show has been released to the public domain.